All right, well, um, good morning again, you guys. And um, it's my distinct privilege to, to um, share the Word of God with you this morning as we continue on in our series called Life, which is on 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And the question that we've been looking at in our series has been, how do I, as a professing follower of Jesus Christ, as a believer in the Son of God, how do I know that I have eternal life? I mean, if I have a profession of faith, how do I know that the eternal life of God has come to me both now and in the promise of eternity? How do I know that I have that if I'm a professing believer? And this is really the theme of 1 John. For John, uh, the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that I have written this epistle for those who profess faith in the Son of God, that they may know that they have eternal life. And so throughout this series, we've been looking at several assurances, several spiritual assurances that John has been giving to us that we who profess to know God do actually have eternal life. And so just by way of quick review, um, John has been talking to us in the first three chapters of his epistle about the assurance of if we confess our need for the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death on the cross for our sin, that is an assurance that his eternal life has come to us. John has been talking about if we find ourselves wanting to voluntarily obey the commands of Jesus, that is an assurance that the eternal life of, of Jesus has come to us. Thirdly, John has been saying if we find ourselves wanting to be in loving fellowship with God, Jesus, and other believers. That is an assurance that we are drawn to them, uh, that we indeed have eternal life. Uh, fourth assurance John has been giving to us is if we find ourselves spiritually more in love with God than in love and dependent upon the idols of the world, that is an assurance. Um, John has been talking about how if we find ourselves abiding in God's truth in a world of antichrists, that is an assurance. And a fifth assurance John has been given to us is that if we find ourselves more, our lives more marked by righteousness rather than wickedness, that is an assurance. And so today, what we're going to do in our passage of 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 18, is we're actually going to revisit one of the previous assurances that John has given to us previously in his epistle, which is the assurance of eternal life through us loving other believers. He's talked about that before. We're going to revisit that in our passage today in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 18. And as you turn there, this is a reminder of why this assurance is so important to us as believers. It's important to us for two reasons. First, John is going to remind us in this passage that we as professing followers of Jesus Christ are not to hate other believers in the way the world hates other believers. He's going to remind us of that. The world hates believers for their righteousness. And we as believers are not to hate other believers for their righteousness. We are actually to love believers, number one. That he's going to remind us of that. And number two, he's going to um, 
give us a definition of what loving other believers looks like. What does that actually look like? And so uh, let's stand together as we look into our passage in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 18. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 18, the Apostle John continues on and he says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death into life. Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16. By this we love. that he, We know love. That he laid his life down for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Let's pray together. And that is our prayer, Lord, that we would love not just in word, but in deed and truth. We know, Lord, that that doesn't make us Christian, but it's a sign that we are Christians. That we have a love for our brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, uh, may you remind us of the hatred that the world has for the righteousness of the church. May we not emulate that. But may we live out what is worthy and honorable in representing the highest of virtues, which is love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So let's take a look at our passage uh, this morning. Verse 11 through verse 18. John starts out and he says in verse 11, For this is the message that you, you as the church, have heard from the beginning. Let's stop there. What is John talking about in verse 11 when he says, This is the message that you've heard from the beginning? He's talking to the church. He's saying, This is the message What is the message? It is the gospel message. It is that Jesus Christ lived out God's perfect law, his holiness, died on the cross for our sins, rose again to defeat death and sin, and ascended back to the Father and sent his Holy Spirit. This is the gospel message so that anyone would believe would have life in him, eternal life. This is the message that we have heard from the beginning. He's not talking about the beginning of time in Genesis 1. He's talking about the beginning of your faith. When you first began to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, verse 11. He said, this is the message that you have heard. What is this message in verse 11? He said that we, who is we, we as the church, should love one another, should love one another. Whenever you see the phrase one another, it comes from the Greek phrase alalon. And theologically, what it means is one believer to another believer. One believer to another believer. There are other times when Alalon, one another, is used throughout uh, the New Testament and that refers to believers or just people in general. But this is really what John has in mind here is one another as one believer to another, not just to uh, our common man. 
And let me stop there. Because this is a command from the Lord through the Apostle John. He says, we as believers are to love one another. Now, as you hear that command, love one another, you want to couch that hearing of that command in the backdrop of the larger theology of how we are enabled to love one another. Let me digress for a moment. Uh, John has has said throughout, will say throughout his epistle later on in 1 John chapter 4, and he said in uh, previously in John chapter 13, and he talks about how love starts with God. God loves us. And he says in 1 John chapter 4 that God has shown his love for us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to be the propitiation, the sacrifice, the appeasement for our sins. So God loves us. How? By specifically sending his son, Jesus Christ, to atone for our sins. 1 John 4. And then John also says, he said previously, uh, decades earlier in John chapter 3, he said that uh, we are to love one another. Jesus says we are to love one another and the Holy Spirit will come to us. And we are to love other believers. And thirdly, not only do we know love through Jesus Christ, that God has given Jesus Christ to us, that Jesus Christ comes to us to enable us to love, but also that God, 1 John 4, perfects us in love. And this is very important to understand, you guys. When you hear the command in verse 11, that we are to love one another, it is enabled by the love of Christ coming into your heart, and it is perfected, 1 John 4, through you actually loving other believers. What does that mean? The commandment to love other believers, there's a spiritual dynamic that is happening in your heart as you choose to do it. It's not just a command that you obey, although it is. 1 John 4, which we'll get to in a few weeks, says that as we love one another, God's love is perfected in us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. So what does that mean? Is that as you choose to be in community with other believers, as you choose to love them, sacrifice for them, pray for them, encourage them, warn them, share with them, be in community with them, as you choose to love, serve them, as you choose to do that, God is at work in your heart, 1 John 4, to perfect you. There is something, a spiritual dynamic that is happening that you, when you love other believers, that is different than when you simply, as a believer, love unbelievers. Why? It's because the Holy Spirit is an unbeliever, is in a believer. The Holy Spirit is in you as a believer. And as you love other believers, the dynamism, the spiritual fruit of the Holy Spirit is unleashed in your life to perfect you, 1 John 4. And so when he says love one another in verse 11, this is what's happening spiritually. This command is very important because what the church should be is a place of love. Nobody's going to disagree with that. Do you find love here at City Bible Church? Do you feel loved? Do you express love to other believers? Our church is just a clanging cymbal, an empty gong if there's no love. You can have the greatest preaching, greatest worship, you know, uh, pray all you want, but if there's no love, you know, that, that's a powerless church. It's a cold church. Now, this church, City Bible Church, needs to be a church where we are friends. Do you have friends here? 
I, do people know you? Do you know other people? This church should be a church of love. This church should be a place where we're walking with people through their trials. You think about for a moment your trials. I'm looking at you. There are several of you. I'm not thinking about any one person. I'm thinking about like a half of you. And even me, to be honest. I mean, you know my trials over the past year, or several years especially. But I'm looking at you right now, and I'm saying, I'm thinking about some of you that have been going through trials, testings, seasons of temptation, and I'm asking you the question, during those seasons, have you felt loved by this church? Conversely, when you have seen other believers who have gone through trials and testings and temptations, has the Lord used you to love them? If not, what are we doing here? Why are we here? You can go listen to your sermons on the internet as much as you want. You know, part of the reason why you're here personally is you're making the commitment when you're actually physically present at a church to say, my commitment, Lord, is for you to use me as a vessel for love and for me to also receive love from the body of Christ. This is a place where love where we sacrifice for one another, where we encourage each other in the faith, where even love is expressed through our occasionally correcting one another. You know, some of you have had to correct me over the years. I've had to correct others. It's not love if there's no correction. It's a place where you should be known and know others. No church is perfect. But I'll tell you a secret, you guys. You can't love other believers. And they can't love you if you're not here. It doesn't work that way. This command to love one another is especially important in our day. Why? Is because there are too many Christians dare I say the majority of Christians out there who are actually not walking in biblical love. What they're doing is they're looking at the church not as a place where I will be part of a vibrant, real, relational community of love. I will give love, I will receive it, in the body of Christ, they're not looking at it that way. You know what, in my opinion, too many Christians look at church and they look at it this way. They see church as a place where I simply attend. It's just a place where I, I come and I go. Too many Christians look at church and they say, church is a place where I attend, or maybe I'm just a church tourist. You ever been a church tourist? A church tourist is someone who um, kind of visits and then moves on to the next church, and then moves on to the next church, and we're just touring different churches. Can't have love that way. It's important because you can find in church, church Pharisees, people here, they're not about love. They're simply about judgment in a bad way, judgment. You can find people in church who are church pagans. People who come into church and they just really are not interested in love, they're interested in just loving themselves. You can find church zealots. 
to come into the church and say, I'm not here to love the body of Christ, to receive love. What I'm here for is to advance my social agenda through the church in a zealot way. The church should not be this way. No, church should be a place of love, a biblical, Christ-centered love. And so he says in verse 12 and verse 13, and he actually, John actually gives us the opposite reaction, and he's making the point here in these following verses. He's saying, look, be reminded, church, the world does not love the church. The world hates the church when the church stands for righteousness. So he's going to give this example in verse 12. And he says, uh, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now let's stop there, verse 12. What is John talking about at this point? He's going all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. This is after Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden. And in the next chapter in Genesis 4, you guys know the story. Cain and Abel. They come up, they were their sons, Adam and Eve's sons, and uh, the context to summarize in Genesis chapter 4 is that Abel um, and Cain, they were brothers. Abel brought a sacrifice to God. Uh, Abel was like a shepherd. He brought a sacrifice of an animal to God. A passage in Genesis 4 that says that God was pleased with Abel's offering of a sacrifice of an animal. Cain was a tiller of the field. He was like a farmer. And Cain brought a sacrifice to God of like a a plant or grain or something. And God was displeased. God rejected Cain's offering. And so Cain got upset. He saw Abel's righteousness. Uh, Now, it doesn't go into all these explanations. The text doesn't go into the explanations why God received Abel's offering versus Cain's. We have to assume that God made it clear, this is the type of offering I want. Cain went his own way to offer to God what he wanted to. Abel obeyed. Abel was accepted by God, Cain was not, and so therefore, you know what happened. Cain got upset, and he got upset at Abel, interestingly. He got upset at Abel because he looked and said, Abel is righteous before God, he's accepted by God, I hate Abel, I hate my brother. And then it says, when they're out in the field, Cain killed Abel. Why? Because Cain was jealous of Abel's righteousness. And God warned him, Cain before, but he went ahead and did it anyway, and Cain was banished away from God. The world hates the righteousness of the church. And John has reminded us of that. He says, verse 13, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Don't be surprised. Why would it hate us? It hates us because we have the righteousness of Christ. This is exactly what Jesus warned about in John chapter 15. Here are the words of Jesus. He said, Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Jesus says in John 15, it hated me before you. Jesus says in John 15, if you were of the world, the world would love you. But because I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. Jesus was hated by the world. He was hated by false believers. He was hated by the pagans of Rome. Why? Because of his righteousness. The world did not love Jesus. Cain did not love the righteousness of Abel. The world does not love you as the church because of your righteousness. The world, you may think the world loves you, but it doesn't. I'll tell you what the trickery of the world is. 
the world will accept you. The world will tolerate you. The world will actually embrace you when you love the things of the world. When you love the things of the world in the way that the world wants, the world will embrace you. The world will not hate you. But that was not the way of Jesus. See, when you stand for righteousness, um, that is when the world will take a stand against you. Let me say that again. When you stand for righteousness, when you actually expose the works of darkness to the light, when you actually are the salt of the earth to preserve the evil that's happening around you by your very presence as a Christian, and you take a stand, the world will hate that. Those that the Lord is not drawing to them himself in Christ, they might like it because they say, I like the righteousness, I want to find out more. And, you know, there are definitely people like that. But overall, the world will hate that, if the, especially if the Lord is not drawing the, the world to himself. Our job as the church is to live a righteous life in the world. When you start to say things like this to the world, you can guarantee that you will be hated by the world. When you start to say the way to salvation is exclusive, it is the hard path and the narrow way of Jesus Christ. No other way leads towards God. And you start to say that to people, the world will hate you. When you stand, because you're standing for righteousness. When you start to be in a work situation, a party, hanging out with friends on a Saturday night, and you see darkness happening around you, and you actually start to expose it. You start to say things like, I'm not going to participate in that. I love you guys, but I'm not going to participate in that. It's wrong. It's not what the Lord wants. And you start to expose the darkness, and you actually speak up. And not just be like, well, it's just not for me, but I'm not going to speak up. You know, But you actually say, it's not for me, and you know what? We should not be doing this. You're exposing the darkness. The world will hate you for that. When you start to do things like, say, you start to stand up for the unborn, the world will hate you for that. They'll say, well, it's human rights. Which human rights is it in the end? Uh, the world will hate you for that because they want freedom over, they want freedom and man's rights over God's rights. When you start to say to the world, uh, the best way for there to be rec racial reconciliation, the best way to uh, get the poor to care, the rich to care about the poor is not through some kind of social movement. It's through the gospel, changing people's hearts. The world will hate you for that. Um, the world hates the church when the church stands for righteousness. You know, I, I had two conversations over the past three weeks. It just reminded me how much people hate the church. Um, they, want, they don't want anything to do with it. There was a person who came to our house recently. They, they were cleaning the carpets. Um, and I just struck up a conversation with this gentleman. Um, and, you know, it eventually gets down to what do you do, right? And I say I'm a pastor. And he just, 
went on this long tirade. I couldn't even get in, or a word in edge, edgewise about, oh yeah, you know what? I used to be in church. I rejected it. The church is full of hypocrites. It's full of judgmental people. I don't like it. I'm on my own spiritual journey now. Um, and, and he just went off on all this, this combination of all his spiritual beliefs. I couldn't even ke- keep up. And I, I, I would try and say things and he just cut me off. He's like, yeah, it's not me. And just reminded me, you know, in his mind, it sounds so freeing and so noble to be on his own spiritual journey to get away from those hypocrites and judgmental people in the church. Yet the reality is that's really a hatred of the church. I was talking with one of my son's soccer coaches the other day. Both my sons are playing AYSO soccer and, uh, you know, it gets around to what do you do, right? And I was helping him clean up, you know, the nets and the balls after practice and I go, I'm a pastor. He just, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm on my own spiritual journey right now. My my dad was a pastor. I grew up around relatives that are Christians. I want nothing to do with it. Um, and a real hatred of the church. See, that's what we have to see through. When you realize that one out of every three people is, I'm spiritual and I'm good, I'm not religious out there, that you should not look at that and say, wow, how wonderful society. They're free. They're exploring their independence. You should look at that and say, no, what that's saying is that there's an acceleration with the millennials and Gen Z of a hatred towards loving the brothers in Christ because they don't want anything to do with organized religion of, of the church. If you stand for righteousness amidst the world, you're going to be like Abel where Cain tried to murder him. He says in verse 14, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And and John at this point, he's saying the negative. He is saying, church, don't be like the world. Don't hate brothers. Have you been hated by the world? For your stand for righteousness. I mean, no one likes to be hated. But let me ask you, when was the last time you experienced hatred from the world because you took a stand for righteousness? I think it's a fair question to ask that if you cannot come up with an example, and I'm not talking about like when you were a high school senior, okay? If you're an adult, you have to ask, am I really um, living out the righteousness of Christ? Three weeks ago, uh, my wife showed me a post on social media. I used to be, I used to follow, the, there's a, a gentleman who used to go to our church in downtown Long Beach many years ago. And at the time, he was um, a film student at, um, at a university graduated with a film major. I went to a senior project uh, when they were showing all his films. I remember me and Lorraine were there and there was like about eight different films that were playing. His was the finale. Uh, but the ones before that, half of them were like halfway pornographic. And I remember him sitting in the front row in front of me. And when he seemed, you know, he invited me and I'm his pastor. And he, we were watching this. And when he was watching this, he didn't even know what the other films were. He looked back at me like to see. And I was like, you know, I was just looking down. Um, during those films, um, because, you know, you're just there to see his film. You don't know what the other films are. And then when his film came on, it was um, 
it was, it was good. It was filled with goodness. And I told him afterwards, I go, you know, I want you to know that in, in the middle of the darkness of the world, your film stood for something good and you're to be commended. He was going out at the time with a young lady who was not a believer. And, um, I, I had said to this gentleman, you know, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, what you're in a relationship right now and that's not honoring to the Lord. And you know that I don't have to say that to you. You already know that. And, um, you should not be living together, you know, uh, and you shouldn't be dating someone who's worshiping a different God. You know, this, um, and he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to do that. He goes, call, uh, let me call you back. Let me call you back. Uh, you know, in a few weeks. And I, I was like, you, you really should end this relationship. I'm, I'm just telling you this straight out. Okay. You need to hear that. And he says, I'll do it, I'll do it. Well, he did it. And I remember he brought uh, this young lady that he was going out with and living with to church a few times. And I had, I, I can't, I can only think of one other example in my life where when I've interacted with someone, there was such hatred towards me. And it wasn't just me, Lorraine sensed it too. I, we were like, did you see that? Like, we don't even know this person. And when we were interacted, you could tell her anger coming towards me. And, um, and I said to him, you know, this is not a good idea. Well, we lost touch for a few years. Um, I actually unfollowed him on social media because of where his life was at. And I think you got to separate from those who profess Christ, who are living in unrepentant sin over a long period of time. So a couple of weeks ago, Lorraine showed me this media post and, uh, turns out he's getting married to her and turns out he came out as transgender. Uh, he, he's, he took the female version of his male name. Actually, when she showed me the post, I didn't even recognize him. You know, he looks totally different. I was like, I don't, I, I said to her, I don't even know this person. Who is this? And then when she told me, I was like, no way. That just ruined my day. Now, why do I say this? Is it his right to choose what he wants to do with his life? Yeah, it's a free country. God gives you a right to choose what you want to do. Is it right in God's eyes? No. Uh, but my point in telling the story is this, is that when I took a stand for righteousness in saying this to him, in the last ditch hope that something would be saved, the world came at me with hatred. And this is the reality of the Christian faith. You can't be intimidated by the world into silencing you to not speak what's right. All right, let's move on in our passage. First John chapter 3. He says uh, in verse 14 and 15 again, as we, as we read, we are to love the believe as we love the believers, it shows eternal life. If we hate believers, it shows that we are a murderer. Why would we be a murderer? We'd be a murderer because God has chosen his people as his children. He has placed Jesus in you as a believer. He has placed his Holy Spirit in you as a believer. And so if we as believers, our children of God, have Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and we choose to hate other believers, it's like your hate. You know, if you're a parent, there's something visceral that comes out of you when you feel your child is attacked. 
When you feel that your child is attacked by someone that you perceive hates them, there's this rage that comes out of you to defend your child. And I think it's the same thing with God. See, when God calls us his children, if we are a child of God and we hate another child of God, the father of whom we are children of, what do you think he thinks about our hatred of another child? If you're a parent and you understand how you want to defend your child against the hatred coming towards your child, you start to get where God is coming from. Now, this is not to say, hear me on this, you guys, this is not to say that, uh, you know, if you're a believer, we need to love other believers and never say anything to warn them. We're not saying that. This is not to say if you're a believer and we need to love other believers and they have shown through an unrepentant, clear pattern, long journey that they are not walking with the Lord, that we are not to separate from them. This is not to say that if we are to love other believers, that then that automatically means that every single believer has got to be your best friend. That's not loving other believers. See, you don't have to make every believer your best friend. You don't have to. Loving other believers does not mean that you are going to condone their rejection of everything that is biblical. Loving other believers does not mean that you enter into their unrighteousness and never say anything. That's not love. What love is, is when you're looking at another believer and you're saying, let me help you, brother. Let me help you, sister. Let me encourage you. Let me warn you. I want to be around you. And so he says in verse 16 through verse 18, uh, this is how we know love. Because he laid his life down for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, it closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So previously, if we hate other believers, it shows that we are walking in death. But if we love other believers, verse 17, it shows that God's love abides in us. That his eternal life is in us. Christ is our example in verse 16. He laid his life down for us. He didn't just say he's going to pray for our salvation. He didn't just say, I'll be around you on the weekends. He actually showed his love through deed and in truth. Verse 18. He says in verse 17, if you see another brother in need and you close your heart, you don't share. How can the love of God be in you? And this is John's definition of love for us this morning. If you want to know how to love other believers, ask yourself, 
Does my love go beyond the, this phrase? Well, I'll just pray for you. I'll pray for you. Hey, nothing wrong with prayer. But does my love go beyond that? Into word, into deed, into deed. He says, if you have your, if you have goods, share it. He says, if you see your brother, he says, don't close your heart to your brother. And I think that's the key here. Do we have... That looks like LAPD. Do we have the world's goods and do we share? You know, um, I kind of have this rule in my life. I don't always follow it perfectly, but it's been a general uh, guiding rule in my life for the past 15 years. Uh, I, I tend to look at people in the body of Christ, and when I find out there's a need with someone, I just ask myself, am I better off than them? Do I have more money than them? Do I get to live in a house? Do I get to drive a car that I own? Um, did, did, I, did, I, did I have the benefit of, of having my parents pay for college? Did I, um, ha- am I in a life situation where, where for many, most of my life or even right now, my parents are still together? I have siblings that are, you know, do I have siblings that are believers? I, all these same kinds of things, right? And if my answer is yes to questions like that, enough of them, and then I see another believer in need, I go, you know what? Um, I think John 3 totally applies. I think it totally applies. What would this church look like if whenever we found out about a need among us, we were like rushing to outdo one another in honoring that person? We were competing against one another to share our goods with that person. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You do that, you're going to be taken advantage of at some point. That's the risk you take. But I'd rather err on the side of love. Said if you have your goods, share it with your brother. You know, um, I just thought about this verse right now. If you want to turn with, uh, you can turn with me, or you. Actually, no, I do want you to turn there with me because I think this is such an important verse for this. In Proverbs chapter 3. Yeah, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 28. I want you to turn there. I want you to like remember this verse because this is a perfect illustration of 1 John chapter 3 when he says uh, to share your goods with one another. Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 28 says this. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. When you have the ability to share what you have now, do not turn to your neighbor and say, well, come again tomorrow. That's what Solomon's saying. 
There's an urgency, there's an immediacy to it. Uh, I, I wrote about this in our book, in the book that I wrote, but uh, many, many years ago, when I was uh, not, uh, Lorraine and I didn't have much money. I, we don't have a lot of money right now, but we really didn't have a lot of money then. Uh, I think at that point, we probably had like $2,000 to our name. And uh, there was an instance where someone came to us and said, oh, you know, I'm just, can you pray for me? I need help. Um, I, I need help with the rent. And uh, I need it like yesterday. And uh, I trusted this person that what they were saying was true. And I just made a decision on the spot. I said, all right. Uh, within five minutes after they shared it and they came over, we drove to the ATM. I withdrew $300 from my account and I just gave it to them. I said, go pay your rent. You, know, you don't, don't even worry about it. You don't have to pay him back. If you want to pay him back, just do it whenever you want. Now it's, it's up to you. Um, and so that happened in the morning. And that afternoon, I was opening up my mail and I opened up, uh, a letter, and inside that letter was a check for $300. And, and th this note, it was given to me by an anonymous donor that I had spoken at a youth camp like a couple months before, and their child was at that youth camp. They said, hey, I just want to bless you with this. I didn't know that check was going to be given to me that day. Sometimes when you give of what you own, with immediacy to those who need it. God already knows the outcome to the story. And he's testing us to see not just if we're obedient, but he already knows how he's already going to provide for you. He wants to see if we're willing to be faithful. And so... Having our goods and sharing it. This, these verses, it says in verse 17, um, he says, if you see your brother in need, in verse 17, if you see your brother in need, so you have your world's good, you see your brother in need. Do you see, do you see your brother and sister? Do you see them? Do they see you? You cannot see them if you're not in community. They cannot see you if you're not willing to share what's really going on in your life. Do you see? Have you been seen? There's no nobility. No nobility at all. And just saying, hey, you know what? I'm just going to live my own Christian life on my own. I don't want anyone to see my need. Uh, don't want to weigh them down. Don't want them to think less of me. There's no nobility in that. No, what the Lord is saying is he wants us to see each other in need. Verse 17. And he says, do you close your heart against him? Verse 17 again. Do you close your heart against him? Is your heart open or is it closed? I think this would be, I think City Bible Church is an amazing church, you guys. I really do. I think what will make it an astonishing church, though, is if we all come to God and in verse 17 say, God, will you open my heart? 
I don't want my heart to be closed. I want it to be open. Open up my heart, Lord. Maybe for some of you, the opening up of your heart needs to be, I need to share what my need is. I need to share um, so that the body of Christ can love me and help me and restore me. Are you willing to open up your heart? Maybe for others of you, opening up your heart is to have less of a hold on our goods. You know, I went up to Matt F. yesterday at the prayer training, and I said to him, um, I want you to know, you know, as you guys know, Matt's missionary here, and he's raising support. And I went up to him, and I said, you know, um, I'm working on something, Matt, for you. Uh, there's no guarantees, but I'm, I, I'm personally working on something for you that may not come about till January or February, but if it does, I'm working on something for you to where there's a donor that would be willing to match anything you raise over a three-month period, and they will match it in support for you. Sharing the world's goods with those who are in need. How can we proactively do that? Sometimes you see other brothers and sisters in need and you say, oh my gosh, it's so urgent. I've got to do this right now. I need to do it. That's obvious. But sharing what you have in need might be something where it's maybe less urgent, but you know that they're in need and you proactively, proactively go up to that person and say, you know what, brother? You know what, sister? Let me bless you. And that would be the difference between going from a really good church like what we have to an astonishing church. Do you want that for this church? Do you want our church to go from good to astonishing? The difference is if we open up our heart to God. The difference is if we say, let me be seen. Let me see others. The difference is when we say, God, what I own is yours. And if we do that, uh, this will really be a church where uh, our love for one another, the world will see and they will know that we are his disciples. Let's pray together. Father, as we close now, as we our prayer is to open up our hearts to you. Our prayer, Lord, is that we would be seen and that you would see us. Our prayer is that you would take what we have and help us to just loosen up the grip that we have on it just a little, Lord, so that as we love others, your love may be perfected in us. Lord, may we be reminded that the world hates the church for the righteousness of the church. All the more urgency that we may live as a community of love. And I pray that for City Bible Church. Pray that we would love one another and do it well. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand for worship.